This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome to Sexy and Surreal, a Lynch and Cronenberg podcast. I'm Joe Lipset, and I'm joined by Terry Menard. Hi, Terry. Hey, Joe, and boy, 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 I cannot wait to <laughs> dig into this, but boy, did we, 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 we really started at the uh, deep end here. Yeah. So, folks, this is how it's going to work. Uh, in conversation with Terry, we realized that he had large gaps in both his David Lynch and David Cronenberg, I guess, film knowledge. Like, you know of both of these men, but you haven't seen a bunch of their films. Yeah, that's correct. In fact, I was uh, trying to take notice of, since we're talking about Lynch today, how many of Lynch films that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Dune. <laughs> oh, wow, Terry. Okay, so that's part of the reason why we're doing this. <laughs> and I, I guess a couple episodes of Twin Peaks. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that, that's, that, that, that's about it for me. <laughs> Okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah. So folks, what we're going to do is we're going to alternate between the two Davids. And, you know, we're starting off at the beginning of both of their respective film careers. So we're not going to do shorts and stuff. We're just going to tackle the features. And we are starting today with David Lynch's Eraserhead, a film that took him five years to make and was partially funded by Sissy Spacek. Okay, cool. Yeah, that 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 was a, a weird little side note that I found as I was like doing some research on this. The the fact that this movie took that long, I mean, I can I can kind of understand why it mm-hmm. took that long, but also the sort of like sissy spacek connection. I I was like, wow, this uh, what a what a wild first movie. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So I had seen this before. I okay. saw this in first year film class, Terry. So imagine oh. showing this movie to oh. 17 and 18 year olds who were like oh. casually interested in film, but mostly because they thought it was a bird course. <laughs> I, I mean, here, here's the thing. Uh, I was I was really and I'm incredibly excited to go on this journey. But the moment that I started watching Eraserhead, I was like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. what did I sign up for? Right. <laughs> it's a it's an awful lot to take in, especially from the very beginning of this film up, up until the cutting a baby open ending. Mm-hmm. I, there's just there's so much <laughs> on display here that I'm like, I, I, I was I was not sure what I was getting myself into. Yeah, yeah, especially since you have only seen Dune, you know, if you had seen something like Lost Highway or Mulholland Drive, even uh, Blue Velvet, some of the sort of peaks of Lynch's, I don't want to say his career because Lynch has always marched to the beat of his own drum. And I would say that he's had more popular periods, but not necessarily more accessible films. But this, in a way to me, has all of the hallmarks of that like really super ambitious student film project, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you're cutting your teeth, you've got this vision, you really want to show what you can do. And I feel like Eraserhead is a good example of all of those qualities. But it's also very Lynchian. So it's like, oh, shit, this doesn't make sense. It's kind of nonsensical. The visuals, the sound design, they're all very overwhelming. Yes. And I definitely want to dig into all of that because, you know, I obviously, if you are a horror nerd, you hear the term Lynchian thrown around an awful mm-hmm. lot. and All the time. 
for me, I heard it an awful lot, even before I was really thinking critically about film as I do today when I was playing video games, because Silent oh. Hill was always called Lynchian. Yes. Mm-hmm. And watching this movie from the very opening, I was like, oh, I understand now why people call <laughs> Silent Hill, particularly the second one, very Lynchian, because mm-hmm. we are digging with ambiguous things, creatures that look like sexual things, yeah. creatures that look like that are metaphors for specific things. We're seeing a lot of imagery getting thrown at us. Sound design. There's this hum in this movie that is mm-hmm. almost omnipresent. So I'm, I'm watching this movie and it's like everything is kind of clicking and it's like, oh, I get Lynchian. <laughs> right. It suddenly all kind of tracks. It all clicks into place. But before we really go down this, it's not a rabbit hole. It's more like a spermazoa hole. Oh, God. I'm curious to know. I mean, this is your first time watching this. You probably heard nothing about how it is lynching. It's surreal. It's a masterpiece. You know, it's a fucking Criterion release, right? Yeah. How did you like it? Did you like this movie? You know, I think this is the perfect movie to start with because no matter what I say about it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter because it's so ambiguous that I don't even think, uh, I don't think anyone really completely understands what this film is about. So (laughs) I like that we can have this kind of conversation. And at the end of the day, it's no one is going to be able to say, well, that's the wrong interpretation of it. Because even David Lynch himself talks about how he doesn't want to explain this movie. I was thinking Mm -hmm. as I was watching this, in fact, that and I'm parsing this out and this might be like completely stupid, but I was kind of thinking of him as kind of the anti-auteur because he is an auteur, I, I think. However, He has a point and he has a a point of view that he is putting on film, but he does not really care what people take from it. I was listening to that famous or infamous BAFTA interview Uh with him. I was watching that today where he talks about uh, Eraserhead. He says it's his most spiritual film. And the interviewer says, elaborate on that. And he says, no, I won't. (laughs) I love it. It's such a great moment. But like in that and that's such a capturable, memeable moment. But he Mm -hmm. goes on to talk about how. And this was the one most beautiful thing that I think I've I've heard in a while, where he says, and quote, the film is the thing. You work so hard to get this thing built, all the elements to feel correct, the whole to feel correct in this beautiful language called cinema. And mm-hmm. the second it's finished, people want you to change it back into words. And it's very, very saddening. It's a torture. It's film. The language is cinema. And I just mm-hmm. I thought that that is such a a different thing from like what you normally see the people that are lauded as, as auteurs are where they're like dis- discussing every single element of it and why they did this and why they did that. And Lynch's response is, ah, I'm not going to do that. It's whatever you bring to this movie. And I think that that is so uh, refreshing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's candid in a way that says, no, I'm not going to help you because mm. at the end of the day, my art is my own, but also what you get out of it is completely up to you. And you'll find that this is very much a recurring theme through Lynch. It's not just a racer head where he really doesn't want to give you answers. It's that he doesn't think you should care about yeah. what he's trying to do. And sometimes that results in narratively nonsensical or frustrating or even maddening films. Mm. And yet, there's such a power to it. Like you don't watch a David Lynch movie and walk away 
like you will feel things you will have visceral yeah. reactions to all of these movies because he is doing such powerful things with the cinematic language and particularly with the sound design yes uh so the sound design of this movie was the first thing that uh well okay it's the second thing that really grabbed me the first thing is this floating umbilical cord sperm creature mm -hmm. monster penis thing that i don't <laughs> i was like what what is what is even happening i was not expecting this movie to start in space i guess sure mm -hmm. and then have this very white fluid that's very seminal mm -hmm. but there's this underlying current of sound that is just omnipresent here and i'm i promise this is going to make sense and i have a reason for this but i today at work I was sitting in a stall in the bathroom, and I promise, okay. I promise this is related. <laughs> and above me, there was this rickety kind of skittering noise from the vents because the whatever was like pulling in, you know, the the change in the quality of the air was just mm -hmm. kind of ticking. And I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, that's the only thing I could focus on, and it was like this one sound. And then I started to realize that there is so much sound happening in this mm -hmm. bathroom, this bathroom where I am by myself. There's the AC to the right of me that's pumping out air. I can hear the women's restroom behind me, someone closing uh, stall doors. I can hear muffled talking outside. I can hear an elevator beep. I can hear all the stuff, and I'm realizing that as humans, we're really good at kind of tuning out the background noise and not paying right. attention that the world around us is constantly making this noise. Mm -hmm. And that that's probably a safety mechanism because I feel that if we were present of all the sound around us 24 seven, it would probably literally drive us insane. Right. But I bring this up because that's all I could focus on in this movie was just that amount of sound. And as I'm watching this film and these, these characters act completely out of whack from humanity mm -hmm. like yeah. there's weird there's weird moments in here i'm thinking well of course if this was the way things were anyone would probably probably lose their mind listening to all of this at the at the time because the sound in this is just so oppressive mm -hmm. yeah it really is just a wall of noise to the point where at certain points i was trying to listen if there even was a soundtrack or if the soundtrack itself is just this undercurrent of noises it's humming and ticking and clanking i was so awestruck by how the sound design complements the visual world that he's yeah. building and i saw in a couple of different reviews that people felt that this was leaning into german expressionism which i think mm. is actually one of the ways that we were supposed to be looking at the film in that first year <laughs> film class where i watched this but it, it very much does feel like one of those films from germany in the 1920s where mm. We're just experimenting with how humans build up this civilization and then we have to live in it. And it's so oppressive and it's so claustrophobic. And then, yeah, we're surrounded by these everyday noises, but it starts to feel like a factory, like we're constantly at work, like we're being droned in. And it is, it's so oppressive. Yeah, there's there's two things I wanted, I definitely wanted to talk about with, with that uh, because... I had this thought in my head and then what you just said reminded me the way that we're kind of introduced to Henry, the main character is there's like this image almost as if something is being birthed. And then it's him standing in front of these enormous concrete doors mm -hmm. leading, I think out of a factory or maybe into factory. I'm, I'm uncertain. We don't know. The, yeah. <laughs> the, the landscape of this film is very odd, but uh -huh. uh, 
it's so devoid of, of human life, but it's very yes. industrial to the point where I was like, ooh, this is almost like post-capitalism, the industrial wasteland that has been mm -hmm. left after everything has failed and there's people just kind of continuing on with life, even though everything around them is this cacophonous noise, but there's mm -hmm. no one. He passes no one in the streets. It's just nope. him wandering through this wasteland that is basically urban urban decay, industrial urban decay. Yeah, it feels like a dystopia almost, right? Mm. Like, you very much notice that there's almost no flora or fauna in this yeah. movie. Like, we're just living in these desolate urban wastelands. And even the flora that he has in his apartment is just a mound of dirt with a dead tree sticking out of it, right? It's mm -hmm. there's and there's almost there's like vegetative waste on the floor, like everything around that could be what normal people might hang up in their in their house with plants or whatever is dead, decayed. Mm -hmm. Everything is just like post-apocalyptic for lack of a yeah. better word. Yeah, and it it feels so heavy, right? Like mm. that's I think one of the reasons why I was telling you off mic that this is not one of my favorite Lynch films. Like I, I do prefer a narrative and I find that this one is very slight. You know, you said people can try to make a reading out of it, but it isn't always there. And I think for this one, you know, people hone in on, yep, he's got this baby. It's sickly. He doesn't quite know how to deal with it. And that's like the majority of the film. But there's also just a bunch of weird shit going on. <laughs> I tend to get lost in some of this, but I find so much of it really visually striking. Like, it's so memorable. There's this one moment where Henry ill-advisedly decides that he's going to have a sexual tryst with the beautiful girl who lives next door to him, who maybe is a sex worker. I was going to ask. Yeah, because again, there's really not a whole lot of narrative thread to hang on to. So I was curious mm -hmm. if that was your reading as well. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought so initially. She just seemed like a, a person who maybe had a casual interest in him. But then the encounter we see near the end of the film with the other man, you're like, oh, okay, there's a leering prospect mm -hmm. here. There's an insinuation that maybe this is her work. But there's this moment where they're having sex and Lynch hovers the camera over the sheets in such a way, and it's black and white, so everything looks, you know, gorgeous, but also... It's both murky and inky, mm -hmm. and yet still very visible all at once somehow. But the way that Lynch shoots this bed sheet makes it look like the craters of the moon that we have seen this figure pulling and cranking, you know, basically the hand of fate who lives in the moon. And you're just like, oh, are we on the moon now with that with that guy that we've seen sporadically throughout the film? And then you realize, no, this is just the bed. <laughs> and uh, also they're having sex. And then you realize like they're in a body of water and then they just disappear into it. And you're like, I don't understand what's happening, but I'm so visually arrested by this. Yeah, this is definitely uh, a mood piece, I would mm -hmm. say. Yeah, the kids call it a vibe, right? <laughs> a vibe, yes. <laughs> to use the, the new lingo, it is definitely a vibe. It's a very unpleasant vibe in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. Even, yeah. even the moments of intimacy, for instance, that moment right there, there's like an oppressive nature to it because they're literally melting into this almost volcano. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, I was trying to... I'm trying to remember because there's so much of this movie that just is sort of like... It's a fever dream. It's a fever dream, exactly. 
but the the liquid was was very um it seemed a little thick almost uh-huh. and it was it was white again. Yep. And so again we're playing with this image of like sex and seminal fluids and this idea of them almost becoming one or just dying like it's it's mm-hmm. uncertain it's uncertain what is going on there but it leaves a very lasting impression. Well, yeah, and the fact that she's distracted during this trice because she keeps looking at the baby who oh, is yeah. squealing. And folks, if you have not seen a razor head, when we say baby, <laughs> we are talking about a baby-sized sperm who is wrapped in coddling for most of the film until at the end, Henry cuts it open and reveals that it is basically just like a mass of exposed organs. Sure. So. When we say he kills it, you know, it's not a baby per se, but it is acting and behaving like a sickly baby the entire movie so that we do feel empathy for it, even though it is kind of horrifying and a little gross. A a lot gross. It looks like (laughs) it looks like a baby chicken. Yes. And I was thinking about that in terms of looking back at there's a scene early on in the movie where Henry goes to meet his girlfriend i guess question mm-hmm. mark yep uh her parents for the first time and they are bringing out man-made chickens and yeah. that's again where i was thinking about this like mm-hmm. post-capitalism society where yeah we don't even have chickens so we make them and mm-hmm. they're these little they're inferior they're these little tiny baby chicken things that when the father asks henry to carve it mm-hmm. and i'm thinking okay but you each what have is there one. to carve? Right, <laughs> it's exactly. the size of a quail. <laughs> and he like sticks his his fork and it starts cutting it, and it just starts oozing this black blood. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about that in terms of this baby in the ultimate reveal, because again, mm-hmm. he carves open this uh, swaddling cloth and reveals that it's literally just a massive goo inside mm-hmm. and oatmeal. Apparently, yes, <laughs> it starts to like vomit up oh well i mean not vomit's not the right word but it starts to erupt this sea of what looks like oatmeal and i'm just incredibly repulsed mm-hmm. yeah it's a very icky disgusting uncomfortable moment even though this is technically the climax of the movie right mm-hmm. and yes let's get it on the table a lot of folks have read the film as lynch's response to becoming a father and his daughter jennifer lynch who would go on to become a very successful and famous director herself she was born with a foot disfigurement that required some pretty extensive surgeries and that's a pretty shitty ableist read if it is in fact true you know we we're gonna talk a little bit more about daddy issues when we hop over to the Cronenberg side and talk about the brood but yeah I don't I don't love that read so much as this is Henry trying to figure out what exactly he's supposed to do like I read a lot of insecurity and bewilderment and just uncertainty in a lot of his facial reactions and I think that Nance the actor who will go on to start in many many Lynch uh, projects he does a really good job of making Henry inscrutable but also very relatable because Henry just looks puzzled this entire movie yeah, I wanted to go back briefly because I, well, first of all, he's rocking Egon hair before Egon did. And that, <laughs> yes, I love that. Uh, but yeah, I did, I did come across a couple allusions to Jennifer Lynch. And there was actually 
this feature by an independent back in, gosh, I think it was 2009 when Jennifer Lynch's film Surveillance came oh, out. So good. I've not seen any of her films either. Uh, but there was this this article talking about how Jennifer kind of was on the set of Eraserhead and she saw uh, her father's film when she was just seven and mm-hmm. said, it didn't give me nightmares, but I said, dad, this is definitely not a movie for kids is the quote. No. <laughs> and then the article goes on to say, well, that's putting it mildly. You have to wonder what she made of the story of a man who fathers a mutant baby. Yeah. Is the way this article continues. Mm. And then it goes on to talk about how as an infant, she was placed in a cast from the waist down, unable to crawl. She would pull herself along encumbered by a metal bar between her ankles. So, even in this article by The Independent, it definitely leans into that ableist kind of viewing of this film, which, right. man, I don't, I don't know what to think about that. Yeah. Especially when, like, I haven't seen Lynch comment to that effect. And so I feel like this says more about the people who read it that way than it does mm-hmm. about the film itself. I will say that I do think that there is fear of fatherhood and fear of intimacy in here. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard to separate the fact that Jennifer was born the same year that he married uh, Peggy, I believe was her name, married her the same year in 1968. And then he would start making this film three years later. And then two, two or three years later after that, he would get a divorce from Peggy. And so... Mm. I feel as if there is, a, I see that a lot in this film between his struggles with maybe abandonment as well, because there's a moment where they're living in the, in the small cramped apartment and it's him, it's Henry and it's uh, Mary and it's the crying baby. Mm-hmm. And she just like gets up and leaves and leaves him with this baby. Yeah. Ooh, that scene is rough to watch, right? Like you see them in this tiny bed and she is sweating profusely. She is yeah. so obviously uncomfortable. And he keeps saying, could you please move over? And you're just like, oh, this is relationship dynamics all summed up in one interaction. And then she just gets up and bails in the middle of the night. But mm-hmm. I do love that it's also presented kind of as comedy because she cannot get the suitcase out from under the bed. And I was like, <laughs> oh, see, there's yeah. there is a place playfulness here uh-huh. you just you really have to look for it i was uncertain what she was doing originally when she was holding on to the the edge of the bed which looks again like a kind of a prison cell mm-hmm. it, it looks like bars yep. and it, almost as if she's shaking on it and i for one moment i thought is she kind of screwing the bed because like it just she just is like shuddering against it and then i realized you know later that she's trying to get her suitcase out but well, she could be fucking it. She could be crying against it. Yeah, yeah, like there's a lot of inscrutable actions in this movie. So I'm not surprised that you're like, so what exactly is happening here? <laughs> I, again, that's why I think this movie is the perfect one to start with as much as it is a dense film, because I don't think there's a wrong read. No, no. Okay, so what were some of the other scenes that kind of stuck out to you? Uh, So the big one that uh, I was just watching with like bemused shock on my face, I guess, is the is the right term Mm -hmm. is the scene where I believe it's the woman living in the radiator because Mm -hmm. sure. And she has like almost like paper mache chipmunk cheeks and she is sidestepping over sperm monsters that fall from the ceiling. Mm hmm. Is that she's right? trying to put on a little ditty and these these sperms keep like getting in her way and she's got to step on them. Right. 
as as you do <laughs> as you do i <laughs> i didn't know what to think about this scene and then she comes back later and she sings um a song mm-hmm. and i'm like okay i i don't understand joe <laughs> Yeah, dreamlike musical numbers is something that we will encounter somewhat frequently in Lynch's work. Uh, I do know that some people see this as she's like an element of fantasy escapism. Like she's Mm. the kind of bright light that Henry can look towards to escape from the doldrums of his life. And then other people have read it as she's the one who is also gently encouraging Henry to commit infanticide. And that's why she ends up embracing him at the end of the film. Okay. Yeah. All right. That second one was new to me. I hadn't really considered that. I, I almost prefer this idea of like finding solace in something that may not even be there, but it's like, it's a happy place, right? Like basically this radiator is his equivalent of turning on a movie and just chillaxing for a little bit. It's a piece of entertainment to take his mind off things. I like that reading a whole lot because I'll be honest, one of the things that I I did do is I went to IMDb, which you should never do. And I was reading the (laughs) the plot synopsis because I was trying to Hmm. see what people were saying about the film because of course they're always written by fans regular of the, folks yep. right and the comment that came out of here was that every time he is staring at the radiator it represents thoughts of suicide oh wow okay. and i was like okay but where are you getting that from hmm yeah that's interesting i i feel like i would need something more to support that like a little bit more evidence yeah and then there's a second bit of synopsis on here that just presents a wild theory that is an alternate world in the early 70s where the united states was attacked by either the japanese or russians in the late 1940s or early 50s hmm. and 95 percent of the population is wiped out and it just goes on from there and i'm like where are you getting that from <laughs> <laughs> like again i said that there's really no wrong reading for this but i'm like okay but what kind of text are you are you finding that to suggest that that is even a possibility <laughs> Yeah, that is really weird, especially from my position, because, you know, it's a filmmaker who has a lot of work. I mean, not a ton of work compared to some other folks, but Lynch has made more than a few films. So Mm. he does have several recurring ideas. So I mentioned, you know, we're going to see more musical numbers. uh, We're going to see more meticulous sound design, geometric floor patterns. So we saw some tile flooring in this movie, and that's something that'll come back when we get to like the twin peaks of it all. Yeah. He does have an interest in physical deformities as we see the woman in the radiator and the baby, um, most obviously in the elephant man. But I will say there's some interesting callbacks, particularly to Eraserhead head in twin peaks, the return. And that is like 18 hours of just like, sheer lynchian (laughs) overload like there's so much packed into it but the most famous episode is a black and white episode that does depict an atom bomb going off oh and there are like creatures uh it's interesting i i think someone would need to unpack it in a greater depth than an imdb comment board but (laughs) I could maybe see it. Like, it, it makes me wonder if people are sort of retconning things back onto Eraserhead in oh. light of Lynch's later works. Yeah, I did love that this alternate synopsis um, starts with 
alternate synopsis and possible reason for the weirdness. Oh my god, no. Okay, I'm I'm discounting that person entirely now. <laughs> possible reason for the weirdness is just lynch you just have to accept this is who he is i yeah i just i had to read it after i read that because it made me laugh i'm like mm-hmm. okay what what is going on here <laughs> so the other reason i'm excited i was excited about watching this movie and i was um ex- i'm excited about continuing on with with lynch is uh because one of my my favorite bands is nine inch nails ah, okay. and i know trent Reznor in particular he loves lynch and to the point that Lynch directed a music video of his at one point. Oh yeah. I'm excited to get to Lost Highway eventually oh because gosh. because Trent Reznor produced the soundtrack of that mm-hmm. and his band makes a cameo in uh Twin Peaks the Return. So like there is like an intersection between Trent and David Lynch mm-hmm. and there was this episode of Song Exploder, the podcast turned into a Netflix show where like someone interviews a musical artist about one of their songs and the song on this episode with nine inch nails and with Trent was on the creation of hurt his song that would go on to be covered by johnny cash right yeah. from the downward spiral and trent was talking about the downward spiral and he was talking about how he'd been thinking about quote sound design in films and how it can make you uncomfortable mm-hmm. by hiding some th- things in there subconsciously that can make you feel a certain way Ooh. because that's what the record was about and then the episode cuts to eraser head and the scene of henry in bed and all you hear is like the steam and like the mm-hmm. the whirling of things and he talks about how he's very much inspired by the films of david lynch not so much in what the music was doing but what the sound was doing he says quote there's a radiator and i feel like i'm going crazy why is that oh because right. the humming sound in the room is super loud and he's like, it miraculously can make you feel incredibly uncomfortable. And it's not all meant to just repulse you, but to be able to emotionally set the stage. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that because as I was, I watched that episode and then I watched this film and I was thinking about how this movie is uh, kind of a precursor to industrial music as a whole, because yeah. it's all about these industrial sounds that would be later used by bands to create, again, a feeling um, setting an emotional stage, whether that be repulsion or whether that be warmth, it's all about using naturalized industrial, not even nat- nature, it's industrial noises to mm-hmm. make you feel a way. And that is one thing that I really loved about this movie, kind of going back to the sound design. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to grapple with the influence of this movie, like, mm. As you were talking about its influence on Trent Reznor, I was thinking about how I can make it a fun little quip at your expense that <laughs> this was apparently a film that Stanley Kubrick referenced when he was making The Shining. So he oh. made everybody <laughs> watch it to get a sense of like, hey, this is the sort of mood slash vibe that I'm looking for. And if you think about it, they're both movies that deal with infanticide and a little bit of madness. So that does track, but... I've seen people make comments that, you know, this movie may have been gently influenced by some of what was happening in horror, because, you know, we like to quibble with, what is the definition of horror? Would Eraserhead fit into that? But people have drawn comparisons to things like The Exorcist with a sick child and Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the family's inability to, like, prepare food, like, even the way that Mary X's mother 
gets her grandmother who is like sort of incapacitated okay. and non-responsive like to mix the salad and people are like well that's got to like grandpa in texas chainsaw massacre where he can't really wield the mallet yeah i didn't even i didn't even think of that until you started talking about texas chainsaw massacre and it was like oh yeah the scene where the mom is trying to prepare food mm-hmm. and yeah uses the grandma who is comatose and has to do everything for her absolutely it's yeah. it's interesting how well okay i also wanted to kind of comment Yes, this is absolutely a horror movie because its intent right? is to repulse and uh-huh. horrify. And it does an incredibly excellent job of doing that. Yeah, I saw somebody say, oh, well, it can't be a horror film because no one in this movie screams, not even the baby. And I was just like, get out of here with this. Okay, but nonsense. I was screaming. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love Lynch so much is that he is walking these weird lines. Like, it's not even that he's blurring genre boundaries. It almost feels like he's creating an entirely new way to make films and you see this with Eraserhead but it also has like the other interesting piece about the legacy of Eraserhead is that it shows you what you can do in terms of everyone can make a movie because he's not famous when he makes this and he scrimps and saves and gets people to yes generously donate money but he also like delivers newspapers or or food or something during the entire course of this five-year production and what we get is a racer head and i think that really signals to a whole new generation that we will then see transform even more so in the 90s and 2000s when people can suddenly pick up really cheap camera equipment but it's like Mm. anybody can make a fucking movie and david lynch is one of the people who kind of showcases that yeah, I, I was amazed that this was a first movie because it right? it's expensive looking in a way. I mm-hmm. mean, in, in a way that surprised me for a weird esoteric horror movie from the 70s, because yeah. this this isn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre to kind of make a callback. This isn't Alien that would come out in a few years. This is a experimental horror film mm-hmm. that has a baby chicken sperm monster thing that i kept staring at thinking <laughs> how did they do that and i know the puppetry is so good mm-hmm. i was actually really impressed with it like it doesn't look claymationy it doesn't no. look janky like especially the baby the baby looks amazing it's, it's absolutely horrifying because well first of all it's really there it's a real presence mm-hmm. but it's also just there's something there's something uncanny valley about it where we can't, yeah. we're trying to figure out, okay, A, how did they do this? And B, what exactly is it? Mm-hmm. Because it looks like, again, it looks like it could be a chicken. It looks like it could be a sperm. It looks like it could be a number of, of weird alien things that you you sit there and you admire it, but then mm-hmm. you're also very repulsed by it because yeah. it doesn't look real, but it is absolutely real. Yeah. And then it, it has becomes life. especially horrifying when it becomes massive and threatening, right? Okay. That moment, I was actually like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, I, it, it, it terrified me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it just sort of like bounds towards the camera, almost as if it's an errant balloon that is like just being let go and, and is flying toward, you know, the, the camera. It just, I don't know. There's something about it that set me incredibly on edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we were talking through this, I realized the the closest comparison that I can think of is Darren Aronofsky's Pie, 
which is also like a first time feature black and white, very experimental and a little surreal. Uh, but I would say that Lynch's film looks better to me. Like you're right. When you said expensive, that did hit the mark because, and maybe it's just that we've seen the criterion cleanup version of mm. it, but this looks so polished, right? Like the depths of the inkiness of the black and white it's not that I got lost in it because, oh, I can only see things in monochrome. It was things are so somehow vivid in just the two colors that there's a, a sharpness in the contrast. Absolutely. I was thinking this because I, I was amazed at how good this film looks in terms of the black and the white, because uh, I, I've been going through a lot of black and white films recently and mm -hmm. Even when they've been touched up and, you know, they are definitely presented for an HD monitor, they don't look as crisp as this film. Mm -hmm. And the way that Lynch is able to get blacks so inky dark and the mm -hmm. whites so... so. <laughs> What's your descriptor, Terry? <laughs> Seminal white? <laughs> <laughs> yes seminal white but the way it makes it look so like almost glowing like almost mm -hmm. nuclear in a way yeah i was i was just amazed at at the use of color for a film that is using only two colors really yeah and it, it does lend it a kind of grandiose scope right like we talked about the fact that there are legitimate other world elements like this movie mm. opens in space we've got a man living in the moon uh we're destroying planets and Sure, you could read it all as being in Henry's mind, but there is a jaw-dropping sense of scope that, to me, feels sort of reminiscent to Kubrick's 2001, right? Like, it's not mm. on the same level, but it feels like we're playing in a very large sandbox. Yeah, it definitely has, um, I, I would I would say, kind of a cosmic horror sense Ooh, to it. Yes, yes. Where, I mean, from the opening shot of henry's head coming in horizontally on the screen mm -hmm. which is immediately off putting you but then it kind of gets matched with the uh the moon i guess mm -hmm. and so there's this idea of it of it opening up with with that kind of outside of the world and that it kind of ends in that same manner that i i was i was getting cosmic horror vibes from it i mean there's mm -hmm. no other way of saying it it just it was like me, yeah. giving me that that kind of eldritch feel to it yeah i love that i'd never even thought of that before it's weird, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> i did have a couple questions okay as long as they're not about plot logistics <laughs> i mean sort of but not, maybe not necessarily logistics but there's a moment where a woman is in bed with him towards the end and she kind of emerges from a cocoon of mm. a blanket yeah. And then she is like, her teeth keep chittering. And I'm like, who, who is that? I couldn't quite tell mm -hmm. who that was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you look at the cast list, they really only seem to focus on the main characters. So I wasn't sure if I was just misreading it. Like, oh, is it meant to be the beautiful girl from down the hall or someone new entirely? I don't know. Well, because she has like white hair from like but it, but she didn't look like the lady in the radiator so i was mm -hmm. but again it's kind of hard to tell what the lady in the radiator looks like when she has the the chipmunk cheeks so i'm yeah i'm just trying to understand who that was supposed to represent and that was like one of the things that really sent me 
scrambling to try. That's actually mm. why I went to the IMDb synopsis to see if I could find out who that person was. Because I just, I don't, I didn't understand the meaning of that that sequence, which again is, right. what's the meaning of this film? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I look at a lot of about the last 15 minutes of the movie up until the climax involving the baby and the infanticide. I look at it as a lot of, oh, okay, he's definitely losing his mind and yeah. we're sliding into surreal imagery, some of which may or may not make sense. Speaking of which, I was wondering through most of this movie why it was called Eraserhead, other than the fact that his hair looks almost like an eraser mm -hmm. and then we get the sequence where <laughs> yes <laughs> his head falls off mm -hmm. and then there is a baby sperm monster coming out of his neck mm -hmm. and then his head is swallowed by inky black goo and then it falls out of the sky in this uh post-industrial town mm -hmm. where it's taken to a factory and turned into erasers and the eraser head maker is like it's okay and I'm like, okay, yeah. what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously where this film gets its title from. I always read this as, okay, it's being taken to the printing press or, yes, like a, a like-minded factory that this town is maybe known for. Mm. As for the literal embodiment of losing your mind and being turned into the thing that you do as a day job. Oh, mm. that's kind of how I read that. But I'm more interested in the fact that we see the baby head coming out of, you know, the sort of place where his head would normally be, because to me, it, it's synonymous, like he and the baby are one in the same. So he he shouldn't be afraid of it. He shouldn't be mad at it. He should feel sympathy or empathy for it. And the fact that he ultimately ends up killing it just because he's a little curious about it makes it all the more sad to me. Okay, so that I was curious about that because that leads that empathy, your empathy comment leads to one of the questions that I was struggling with in terms of when he accidentally well, maybe mm -hmm. accidentally kills the baby. Is that yeah. an accident or is that him trying to end the madness? <sighs> yeah, I feel like you could read this in a couple of different ways. I've always looked at it as he he wants to better understand this creature, this thing that comes from him, supposedly. And that's why he removes the binding. And then what he sees there, he doesn't understand. So he does what a child would do, right? He pokes it with a stick, only in this case, it's Ugh. scissors and he erupts it. Ugh. Yeah. It's so gross. I Because, well, I was wondering about that because I, I've wa <laughs> I watched this film twice. Okay. Uh, because I wanted to try to understand it better uh, <laughs> which oh, Terry, I guess we've got a long road ahead of us is then. a fucking fool's errand i get that <laughs> and i realized that halfway through my rewatch because like i i okay so i'd watched this last week and mm -hmm. then i wanted to refresh myself and so that's why i rewatched it and i because i was looking at my notes going my notes make absolutely no fucking sense what did i watch and so i yeah. wanted to sit down and try to rewatch it again and when i got to the end the second time the baby starts like crying mm -hmm. and pain as yeah. he is cutting yeah and he keeps doing it anyway mm -hmm. and on one hand i was thinking about swaddling babies and about how you know changing a diaper and maybe the kind of fear of 
afraid that you're going to hurt the baby by doing something. Right. And so that was like kind of in the the more rational part of my brain, mm -hmm. kind of trying to think about what this what this represented. But then the fact that he keeps cutting when the baby is obviously in pain mm -hmm. just, uh, I don't know, struck me wrong the second time I watched it. I feel like he can't help himself. Like he started mm. something and he needs to see it through because at this point, what else does he have? Right? Like this, the baby won't even let him leave his own apartment. Every time he tries yeah. to open the door, the fucking thing starts crying. So, you know, I, I started to look at it almost like, well, what is the experience like for new parents? You know, when Mary mm -hmm. leaves in the middle of the night, she's like, I just need a good night of sleep. And I thought, right. Yep. Every new parent says something like that. Right. Mm hmm. So I read it as a bit of, oh, he is sleep deprived. He hasn't been eating. Uh, he's been locked in this room. So when he says, okay, I'm just going to see what I'm dealing with. What am I working with? And so he starts to cut. And then at that point, he just can't stop himself anymore. Yeah. But I feel like it's such a tragedy. I don't know. I really... It is. I, I so much more strongly related to the baby this go around. I was like, that thing is hideous looking and a little bit scary, but also... It's so pathetic, right? Like, it's so reliant on him. Mary has just completely fucked off, and her parents right. are absolutely bananas. Like, that dad makes no sense at all. <laughs> so you have to think, oh my god, Henry is the only person who will look after this child. I I was thinking in terms of the nuclear family concept that we got out of the, the 50s, right? Where you have this father figure, and I saw... In a way, I saw a lot of my my dad in him okay. with his comments about like, I mean, this never happened to my dad, of course, but where he talks about losing feeling in his arm and the doctors say that he's never going to use. And he's like, well, what do doctors know? Hmm. Right. Where it's yeah. like, you know, father knows best. Father yeah. knows, you know, and so he would massage his arm and he would get phantom feelings back in it and think that it was OK, but he still can't carve the, the, the chicken. Mm hmm. So you have that, but then you also have the mom who gets orgasmic shudders when she is thinking of the chicken and when mm -hmm. Henry is cutting into the chicken. And then she also tries to kiss him later. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of... Uh, this family is not doing well, Joe. No. It's so interesting, right? Because... In the time since this film was made, increasingly people are living in crowded spaces, mm. uh, fiscally compromised and having to like move in with parents or parents move in with them because they're sick or invalid or whatever. And I saw so much of modern day living in this yeah. film, like their experience looks absolutely horrible. You know, the apartment that they live in is bigger than mine, but Henry's is basically all studio mm -hmm. and... It was a jail cell. Yeah, like, they're so tightly pressed up against one another. There's no natural light. There's no happiness. It's all just, we're trying to work. Doctor said I may lose the feeling in my arms. Whoa, what's going on with my knees? And you're just like, oh, God, this is modern life, and I hate it. Meanwhile, I loved one of my, and it's such a small shot, but one of my favorite shots of this film is when he is looking around his apartment, and we're sort of getting a feel for it. And he looks out the window and it's literally flush against a brick wall. Yup. Mm -hmm. Like he has, there's no, no. there's no life. There's no. no life in here. No. The fact that we even thought we could raise a child in this world. Right? It only makes sense that this child ends up dead. And I mean, I definitely read it as Henry fully loses his mind when he embraces the woman in the radiator. 
I was also thinking about this this poor baby and Mary because before we were in, even introduced to this baby, we have the dinner scene and then the mom asking about Henry and Mary's sexual mm-hmm. history, <laughs> and then Mary crying and saying they're not even they're still not sure it's a baby, and I'm like, what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is going on here? And we hear that this baby is making noise and crying all the time. Like the minute mm-hmm. that it's introduced, we hear it. And yet we don't hear it at all during this entire dinner sequence, the entire time they're waiting for dinner on the couch. And you just think, oh, are they neglecting that child this whole time since it's mm. been born? Mm. It's just dark. This is a really dark movie, visually, yeah, thematically. Yeah, thanks a lot, show. <laughs> I can't say it's going to get happier, but it's <laughs> maybe going to get, even conventional isn't the right word, but Lynch, he will always have surreal elements. He will always have darkness. He's very much interested in the darker side of humanity, mm-hmm. but it becomes easier to see the kind of through line as we move forward yeah and I'm, I'm excited to to move forward with his career because i i feel as if this is just a big steaming pile of lynch like this is mm-hmm. lynch to his core and this is unfettered lynch that it that has like a kid in a candy store who's been given um a big check yes he has had to work for it but he has like this big check and he's just like i'm gonna by everything I want. Mm-hmm. And that's how this movie feels. It's just there's a there's a lot of lynch in this film that is unrestrained, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a first film, right? It's what have you been dreaming of doing? Yeah. It's taking you 5 years, but you're finally getting to see your vision realized on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, not my favorite, but one <laughs> hell of a debut. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, that's a wrap on Eraserhead, but next time, we're going to jump over to the other David, and we're going to talk about the film that nearly broke the Canadian film funding model. Uh, Yeah, we're talking about Shivers, which is David Cronenberg's debut feature film, and uh, yeah, this is a film that was literally debated in Senate, Terry. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't wait to talk about that, because uh, this is another film I have not seen. Well, prepare yourself for some rapey organisms. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so that's next time. <laughs> so, Terry, if people want to reminisce about their first time seeing a racer head with you, how would they get a hold of you? Oh boy, if you want to reminisce or you want to tell me exactly why this is an alternate version history of oh the United States and have the backing uh, information to support that, please find me on Twitter at Gaily Dreadful. And what about you, Joe? Yeah, if you uh, want to talk about any of the things that I maybe misinterpreted when we were talking about this movie, you can reach me at Be Stole My Remote. And, of course, uh, this is just one of many of the amazing shows on the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network, so uh, be sure to check out the other shows in rotation. But yeah, Terry, we will be back. 
crossing the floor to the other David. I'm very excited. Cronenberg is much more my wheelhouse, especially in the early films. I am very excited to uh, finally explore his filmography as well. All right. Well, until next time. uh... Stay sexy and surreal? Yeah, (laughs) sure. We'll go with that. Squad.